Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 16 of Tactical Crouch. That's right, 16 episodes. I said last week was 16. It wasn't. It was 15. This week is 16. I triple-checked it, so uh, you can get that out of your out-of-the-way YouTube commenter. I see you. Thank you for commenting. We got it right this time, though, so beware. Uh, we've got a really special show. Obviously, Joe is not here. He's out and about doing uh, his his things. We've got a pretty great guest this week. Head coach, LA Gladiators, David Pay, also known as D Pay. Uh, David, welcome, man. It's really good. We've we've chatted once before last year for an Overwatch League daily episode. It was like a fifteen minute, super on the record formal interview. And this this week, you're bearing it all. That's that's yeah. what you told me. You're bearing it all. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just leaking all the information, scrim results, uh, everything. It's it's all here. Yeah, <laughs> scrim results. There you go. You heard it here first as well. We got skim. <laughs> oh, man, this is gonna be. We're gonna get you in too much trouble. We won't do that. We play nice. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's great to have you here. I'm really excited. You and I have been chatting ever since it was like what a month ago. You sent me a message on Discord and been like, "Hey, really been enjoying Tactical Crouch, and if you need somebody," and I was like. How soon can you come on? <laughs> it, was, it was that quick. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I love what you guys do. Uh, I, I watch your podcast at two times speed, so the intro music is like oh. fast, but it sounds actually even better in some way. Like I'm, I'm really getting hyped for it, and it's like boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's so we got now what, what we know what we can do to mess up D-Pay, yes, guys. We talk really fast in the episodes from now on. Oh, yeah. So then it's like playing at 4X sure. speed. Well, I'll change it at like 1.75. YouTube's <laughs> great. I use that for lectures in college as well. Uh, just very time efficient. <laughs> awesome. Yiska, what have you been up to, man? You've been, you've been on a few podcasts this last week. Did I see you thinking it over or did I dream about thinking mm, it no, over? No, not thinking about over. I had a um, pod with Sideshow on Tuesday. And uh, yeah, whenever will, that will come out. The one before that is already not out, so... It will take some time till that's, but yeah, we got into a nice challenge. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, it's not about us this week, Yiska. It's about this guy in the True. middle here. True. We've got we 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 got quite a few good questions. I would say um, we're gonna hit it hard this week. We'll start out with some softballs though, and, and honestly, we're just here to to chat. So you know, mm -hmm. I like uh, hard questions. So if you got hard questions, hit them. I just I just immediately went like, what would Yiska ask after that? Because it, it would be like the most trolly question ever, and I don't I don't I didn't have one. I didn't have one. So what I do want to do then is I want to start first of all with your off season. Obviously, you've had about six months of I don't know what you've been up to. What have you been up to? What's that been like? Uh, there was quite a bit of a break between the finals and the actual off season, just like personal break and uh, the team wasn't doing much. There wasn't much happening. Uh, but I think around August, I would say people started like uh, scouting for their Overwatch League team, their contenders team, uh, even I think earlier than August to like a little bit in September, just depending on the team. Uh, so I was doing a bit of scouting and uh, yeah, scouting and then looking at our contenders team specifically uh, and kind of seeing if there were any good matches. We had like an open tryout and it was for everyone. Uh, just like if you did really well in the tryout, you maybe were considered for OWL 
uh, but it was mostly for contenders, just kind of seeing what the talent pool was with like. Your, is that with your academy team? Yeah, with what our academy team. Yeah, because okay. um, uh, we we didn't know who would get picked up from our academy team at that point, so we were kind of just like figuring out one who is who is getting picked up by owl teams, and then two, uh, where we would we need to fill those replacements. So, uh, and also we were looking for our own owl team as well during that time, but uh, it was in separate tryouts depending on like the person's agent or uh, just like the the contract that they were on with their own contenders team. Can I ask, you said if they didn't good in trials, what does doing good in trials mean? Do you really consider like the level of play or do you, I mean, you have a sample size seeing how they, they played the contender season. And I would argue these matches are a little bit more important than the trials matches, right? In terms of gouging how good the player is, because that's actually under pressure in a competitive environment, you know? Um, uh, what does doing well in trials mean? We actually, uh, like history, I think is important. Like historic success, I think is important. And then how they prove to play in a match is important. But at the same time, uh, like you guys know, like for, for scouting purposes, the, the VODs provided are very scuffed mm. <laughs> to say the least you're getting a first person and it's not always the person you're looking at you don't see what the person's doing so you get like a tenth of their effective see a tenth of their effectiveness over the course of a season you can kind of point to someone's effectiveness but then you have to point to like relative strength of that contenders region uh relative strength of their team like how much of that is team play their strategy so we tried to put as much weight into the tryout and i think the tryout itself is like quite a bit of pressure uh for a lot of the players maybe it depends on each player how they interpret it but uh if i were a player i would view like an owl tryout as very intense so uh and very stressful so i would be kind of put under a similar situation so for the positions we were looking for we uh, like uh we were we looked at every single player's wad uh so and they had at least four hours of gameplay so we did give them all like uh i would say a fair chance and obviously some we skimmed through more over time just like kind of like we were like this wasn't good enough uh of type of thing uh but if the player showed true true potential to be on the owl team we gave them as much time looked at the vod twice even uh three times it just depended on how close they were to legitimacy can yeah, i make sense can i ask you then kind of uh Piggybacking off of that is the idea of two-way players, and obviously you've signed one with Panker here. Um, I mean, what can you tell us about the decision to utilize two-way players and how you might look at utilizing those, as well as how Panker maybe, without uh, divulging too much, I understand, um, uh, how uh, Panker might kind of factor into, or just two-way players in general might factor into uh, the Overwatch League, because there's a lot of kind of mysticism about what the actual purpose for this is if it is it is for for a player who just isn't performing in an overwatch league and they need a replacement asap and that's like the best way to get one and someone who's in the system like what, what's your take on that uh yeah i think <clears throat> if you're like fam I'm, i'm not super familiar with exactly how they're utilizing and say basketball or Uh, baseball i think you can have like people go through the minor leagues or the g league and back up to the major leagues but i think uh in general i won't sp talk about how we will use banker or anything but in general i think uh it probably is more like this is someone that you see having potential but you can't foster their potential on your main team because you have to focus on the success of your main team but they can have a lot of success uh 
in contenders just with plate like raw playtime i think is important if you're an owl player and you're sitting on the bench it might uh be useful for you to just get as much playtime as possible uh do half and half with team owl practice and then uh with contenders practice or something like that uh it gets kind of sticky but uh I don't think overall they're as impactful as people might think they are, but uh, certainly it is it is good, I think, right? It it strictly gives you more options. If you use the two-way contract and just make the person uh, like an owl bench player, it, it is the same. Uh, there is mm. no difference other than later you can move them to contenders uh, if you want and you kind of protect uh that player's trade rights right uh but other than that uh i don't think there's really too much of a fundamental difference i think how they will be used will be ultimately minimal but i think you can get gains from it uh in general but uh, i'm interested to see if anyone like uses them properly i imagine that either the two-way players just fully moved up to the owl team or uh mostly on contenders very little back and forth because there's like rules against that i think yeah. you can only play like yeah them twice in a stage or else they can't play in contenders at all for at least that whole season of contenders and there's been very little seasons of contenders right overall so that kind of like reduces uh their their efficiency so uh i don't think it'll be too impactful on the league overall but uh i could be wrong (laughs) that's at least how i interpreted it yeah in my mind it's like once transfer window closes and something unforeseen happens, that's maybe where you see some of those uh, two-way contracts pop, where they take them over the two games per stage and make them a full contract just because you can't do anything. Like, someone has an illness or is really off their game in the main position. I guess that's when it happens. But I would be very surprised if... I mean, in the first place, there aren't that many two-ways, and I would be surprised if more than, let's say, 20% of those contracts were... Uh, converted or like were made as such that then this player can't play in contenders anymore. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I don't know. That's why I'm not a coach. <laughs> Just, <laughs> uh, sure, that makes sense, Yiska. Uh, it, it's really interesting. I, I really hope that they flesh out the two way system a little bit more because I do think that there is a lot of, especially. When you're dealing with um, metas that are changing, you know, stage to stage, it can really affect the players that you have ready. And having a Zarya sit on the bench for three three stages maybe isn't the best use of their time or honestly the organization's money either. And they could get a lot of valuable time down in contenders. I mean, I don't know. I'd like yeah. to see a little bit more back and forth. Uh, I think it depends to the, uh, and I hope Blizzard changes this. Just contenders and Owl has been on different patches the entire like lifespan of mm. Owl. So like, uh, it could be good, it could be bad to have a two way player who like explores the next meta or something like that. But even then, you're not even sure which patch you're on a lot of the times, and uh, it's it's kind of confusing. So I think that would be nice if Blizzard somehow like standardized that like. Contenders is one patch ahead. Contenders is on live all the time. Uh, and then Owl is like preset on these preset dates, like two two weeks before the stage, whatever that patch is, it's that patch. Uh, I think if they standardized it for contenders, you could maybe get more value. But because of that, it even becomes more complicated in terms of efficiency, moving someone up and down. Uh, and also just like, there's a lot of uh, 
knowledge you kind of gain from being in scrims and in the league you just know this is how every team runs temple of anubis this is like this is what people ran on nubani last year this is what people are running on nubani this year type of thing and uh it's like accumulated knowledge that you can't really quite quantify and for different positions it means different things but having that knowledge would be really good so the two-way player just to me is like super complicated uh but at the worst case, it's just a bench owl spot that you can have them practice in contenders. Uh, and I think that's like a very reasonable take on it. Sure. Because uh, any other thing would just be them being an owl bench player. And then it doesn't matter if they're two-way or not. Uh, only yeah, in eight. Right. right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's talk about your gladiators a little bit, David, because... Um... Man, we've we've got a we've got a lot of good questions here, and it's it's a funny. Let's talk about this first. You you said it to me in Discord a couple times. Uh, you said it publicly in a tweet to kind of I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth, but kind of temper expectations. Uh, for this year, and that's kind of in response to a lot of power rankings. I think we all had you had the gladiators in the top five. I, I haven't seen really the gladiators outside of the top five. What do you see as your biggest challenges to make the Gladiators a top five team in Overwatch League season two? Yeah, uh, just to address the first part about tempering expectations, yeah. I hadn't seen my team even play at that point uh, because sure. they were just getting visas. Like, uh, yeah, we were confident in our tryout process and that the players would be good, but uh, you know. I think each year is like a blank slate for a team, uh, especially if you get new players. Even if you don't get new players, it's a, it's a time to redo things if you did things poorly in the past uh, or just you want to do things more optimally. So I, I think for me, it's more just like if people say we're good, I, I don't really care. I You can't care about expectations as a player, as a coach, uh, because it's only the expectation of yourself, of your teammates that really matter, right? Uh, so it was more of that. Uh, and also uh, just kind of noting it's, it's weird the narratives that go on, right? Uh, we're a team carried by Fissure. We're not a team carried by Fissure. Yeah. Like the the story bounces, and for like apparent no logical apparent reason. So to see us high ranked after losing our uh, perceived best player, right? Uh, and someone who like did have a ton of effectiveness on our team uh, for for match results, like. I think it's just a weird narrative more so than anything. Not that I don't think the the legitimacy of the power ranking is wrong. I'm just kind of noting. I think power rankings are just weird <laughs> in general. And the, yeah. the narrative with our team is weird. And I think only time will tell. I'm I'm kind of just like, we'll just see what happens type of guy. Uh, I think there are people who will undoubtedly be like one and two. Like we, we know like Nixle and Spitfire, they're going to be in playoff contention no matter what, right? We, we think that like maybe some of the bottom tier teams might just stay there, right? And might just continue mm -hmm. to be like the expectations that we think. But then between that, there's like 15, 16, 17 teams, right? that I think can float massively, especially this year in the league. I think they can float massively uh, between the top half, middle, bottom half. Uh, I think they can float massively just because I think the potentials or the the talent is really high in now, like the individual skill is really high. And then we're at more of like a teamwork-based meta compared to Dive, which was, uh, although a lot of teamwork, uh, Widow and uh, Tracer just like were, are the highest skill cap characters in the game, I would say, and just can take over a game by themselves. Uh, whereas now it looks like we're moving towards more of a diverse meta where we switch around things as team plays more important. So I think it really, uh, this season's going to be really interesting from my POV, uh, just because I think everyone between like spots three and 18 can just bounce between the week, between the meta, uh, between, I don't know, internal issues, whatever it may be. I think they can just bounce around a lot. Will you tell us who your 20 and 19 is? 
uh, <laughs> I feel super. I I don't. Uh, I don't think I have an exact one. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think I'll say. It. I feel like it's just rude. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, Fair yeah. Enough. But uh, right. yeah, the, and maybe they won't be right. Like uh, I, I mentioned before, I think there's a ton of variants. Like I think Boston season one, they looked not too good at the at preseason, right? Or like uh, the scrims before preseason. Uh, just like even from my own own view, but then they got their shit together really fast. For oh, can I curse? I can't curse. You can. Right? I mean, I can f- bleep myself, but you can. Oh, okay. But it's fine. Yeah, go, go nuts. I'll, no, no, I'll go refrain nuts. from cursing. Sorry, Please but do. Boston like showed up stage one and they went six and four. Or something which was really really good uh and nothing that i would have expected even with the scrim results from right. preseason so that's why i don't want to say like oh x x team is really yeah. bad right now right, right. it well, could and be it, the meta it, and, and it's something like that, that we've like denoted multiple times on the podcast is like more than anything the rankings are just like a footnote to the justifications of how the team looks sure. going into the season right like we took the really unscientific approach of signing a one through 20 value to 20 teams which already yeah. is like you know we we all have tier lists we all have we, we we're not like yeah Ooh. we argued it nyxl <laughs> over london we did it yeah let's fight about it it was a great podcast and, and a lot of people tuned in and i think really enjoyed it and some got mad and uninstalled and never listened to the podcast again but like it was it was a really fun conversation to have and there's value in that but at the same time uh i don't think anyone's kidding themselves that uh there's there's kind of a there, there's no crystal balls in Overwatch, right? No. And, and it's just kind of like, hey, how, what's a fun way to like create some content around what's exciting going into season two, which teams are looking good and what, which teams aren't, right? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we've been six months out of the season and like I understand why the hype is there, why people really want to know, like kind of like predict uh, who's really good. I, I totally understand. I'm just noting from kind of my yeah. POV. Yeah, <laughs> it's not... like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm already, I already have an apology letter written out to Boston fans where I put them at 16. Like it's already written. It's in the mail. I just got to stamp it and ready to go. Uh, But if they, if they end up do being 16th, then, then you're a God, right? Well, I also have that letter written as well. So, you know, Mm, that's like, suck it, suck it, Reddit, like told you, (laughs) suck it, Twitter, like told um, you I'm a God. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's, it's yeah. Both ways I win. Um, Let's let's go back to your gladiators though, because we were talking a little bit oh, about yeah. the the loss of fissure, and you you yeah. kind of mentioned like there's there's both sides of that. Like some people are like you know you were carried by fissure, you weren't carried by fissure. Something that has me really excited about the gladiators in season two are some of your pickups. So you've got you picked up DK and Roar from Kongdu Panthera, Ripa as well. Um, to now you have your your support trio there. Uh, you've got all that going on. I think there's a lot of exciting things going on with some of the pickups you made, and and I think specifically uh, DK and Roar, really excited about. It. And I would love to hear more about you know how that process came to like, yep, that's the fit for our team. I'm more excited about it than the Fisher uh, pickup personally, based on what again what I heard. So uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that process. Uh. It gets complicated because I don't know, like, uh, I'm sure the other teams were interested in, like, the same players we were interested in. Oh, yeah. right? Like, we we were looking uh, at runaway players as well. Like, uh, th- there were just, like, a lot of balls in the air that I don't really know. But I just know that uh, Void obviously came from Kongdu Panthera, has a good relationship. Uh, only played, like, a little bit of time with uh, Roar and Void, but uh, had a good relationship 
Roar and Void, Roar and Decay, uh, had had a good relationship with Decay, and so he kind of like was like these these players are really good. We we scouted them, we looked at them uh, in in like a tryout, thought which one was the best fit for our team, kind of which one filled the most holes. We also looked at like individual play a lot because uh, we kind of noted in season one that you just need mechanically or individually skilled players. I won't say mechanically, mechanics. I think people confuse individually skilled players yeah. uh, and. Uh, at the right positions too, so I think uh, Decay really filled in like uh, the hole that we didn't have, which was just like a really flexible players across hit scan and projectile, uh, and particularly someone who plays tracer as well, just in case she comes back in meta. Right now, you don't see it a lot, but uh, undoubtedly she could come back. Right, um, and when she was in meta, she was very very valuable. So uh, it just kind of made sense from our perspective. Uh, they were our top choice, and we got our top choice. So that was that was very fortunate for us, I will say, um, and hopefully, I think they were we were their top choice as well. So perfect match, you know. Uh, I mean, it uh, must have been because especially Decay, and this is where you put your poker face on, um, had a pretty high buyout and was also very much thought after by um, by many teams, as far as I've heard, and I think that the fact that you had that personal connection with uh, Lloyd certainly helped. And it, it's also interesting to me to see how that comes together, because if I remember correctly, the last time when Roar and Void were playing together, it feels like Void was, for instance, definitely in the discussion as like one of the best divas in the world, most definitely. And I mean, divas are very hard to evaluate at, at the same hard. time, right? <laughs> it's, I'm not sure anyone can have a confident opinion on them without the replay viewer, but... Yeah, it's it's certainly exciting to see, and I think that also justifies, um, in a sense, your uh, power ranking placements. Simply because, I mean, th these are the Congo Panthera players. By all rights, they should have won that final. Yes, it was a it was a um, it was a fortunate meta probably for that team, but still at the same time, I think personally, you got the crown jewels from that team. And yeah. if I had to pick two players from Congo Panthera. I would have picked DK and Roar, and yeah, I think like Shy Dragons isn't getting the stronger half or uh, third of the roster. Uh, yeah, just to address a couple of points, I think like uh, I think that team was very strong. Like their other players were strong. It's just they didn't fit uh, kind of like parts of our team, and also like the English Korean balance uh, insofar mm. as like our our full English coaching stuff. But I think like Luffy was really good on that team. I think Ding was really good on that team. I've heard good things yeah. about Koma for his shot calling. Uh, I, I think that team was actually like better, better as a whole, certainly like was a good team. And like you said, was just a game away from beating runaway, maybe a fortunate meta for them, like you mentioned, but uh, undoubtedly was very good. Uh, and then the other thing, uh, Decay does have like these high expectations around him, but mm -hmm. I, I think People forget, like, I won't talk about his buyout price exactly. I will just know that the reported rumor is wrong, right? Uh, that's all I can say. It's, like, I know Sinatra had, like, the the meme, like, Mr. 150K or whatever, and yeah. he's going to get, like, the Mr. 300 or whatever the reported mm. amount was. But that's that's wrong. I can I can let you know that now. But Decay's just a 17-year-old kid from Korea who's coming down to the States to play in a professional league. Like, uh, I just want everyone to like take a step back to when they were 17. I was a complete <laughs> idiot. Uh, so I mean, like, while while pizza I think the the day, guy man. is really great, what? I said pizza rolls all day, man. That was yeah. If there was a league for that, I was in. 
Yeah, I had the mental maturity of like uh, a five-year-old when I was 17, I'm pretty sure. So, uh, and I'm not saying Decay is like a good player, bad player. I'm just kind of noting like uh, he is young. People need to give him time. And I don't think the expectations should be super high on him Yeah, uh, because he is just, he's literally a 17-year-old kid from another country coming to this country because he just so happens to be really good at Overwatch, right? And so uh, there's a lot of things that make this game a team game. I'm, I'm sure he will shine uh because I think he's a really great player, and I think that uh, he's he's proven himself in contenders. But uh, I think the expectations on this this literal kid is like too high. Uh, so yeah. I just kind of wanted to address those points specifically. I mean, I mean, it's easy to forget because by Overwatch standards and how long he's already played, and also played at the top level, he's mm. almost a veteran for an Overwatch player. Almost, yeah. Yeah. I think maybe like Surefour is by far the most veteran. But yeah, yeah I mean that, that definitely is true. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's why. So you mentioned the mixed roster, though, and I think that that's a really interesting piece because the Gladiators are coming in with uh, a pretty pretty mixed roster going into season two. I mean, how and, and you just mentioned as well an all English speaking coaching team. So number one, how are you addressing this going into season two? And number two, how big of an impact do you really think? Uh, language barriers are because one of the first things people bring up it's almost like the first thing they analyze is language barriers and they stop their analysis right there this team isn't going to do good because half is from China and half is from the United States what are they going to do how are they going to communicate and, and I get that I think there's some validity in talking about the the barriers that language have in Overwatch but at the same time you know we've seen mixed rosters be successful so I know that was long-winded, but first, how are you addressing language in going into season two? And number two, do you think that language barriers in Overwatch, specifically for the Gladiators, is something that fans maybe should be worried about? Yeah. Um, so just as far as how we're addressing, we're, we're a full English strategic coaching staff is what I will say, but we have uh, two bilingual Korean uh, coaches. One's like more strictly a translator, uh, and then one's our like manager, and he acts as like, closer to like a korean performance coach like koreans just deal with things differently in terms of like mentality and stuff like that culturally they are much different so you can't have the a western performance coach kind of tell them what to do or be like their mental coach really uh this person like kez is 31 he's really experienced in esports he played professionally in league of legends uh age is really important in korean culture as far as like seniority and stuff so uh Kez, I think, is a very like valuable asset for our connection to the Korean players. It's just more so when it comes to strategy, it is difficult to explain. And I think uh, like there there are like uh, problems that you face. You said like how how are we addressing it? It's the same stuff that we did last season, except better, right? Uh, we have like we simplified the the Overwatch language for them. Uh, things outside a game like that's just we understand that's going to come slowly with time. We try to have as many one on ones with our players in general English or Korean, and this gives them a time to kind of explain themselves more fully, more uh, have more time to explain rather than the fast pace of practice where we're like, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. Uh, so. Uh, I think those like steps were already put in place from before. There's no like conclusive way to deal with it, right? Even going to traditional sports, there's not a lot of mixed teams, you would say. It's really more epidemic in esports where you get Chinese players, Korean players, and put them on your team because of uh, their historic success, right? Uh, but I think 
you just have to work with it over time. Void has already learned like a lot of English, I will say. Uh, and not that he's like great or perfect or anything, but we saw with Void, we saw with Asher, we saw with Fissure that they learned over time. Uh, and so you have to think about language as kind of an investment and something that is a slow hurdle. And in the meantime, you're going to just have to spend twice as much time as other teams, right, uh, through translation. Like if you're going through a strategy, we just have to assume that if it takes 30 minutes to explain in English, it should take about 30 minutes in Korean. Uh, in our one-on-ones, it's going to take longer with those uh, Korean players, but it, it it's worth the investment. So uh, we just have to spend more time with it, be more uh, patient with it as well. And I think it is like, there are inherent problems to language barrier in terms of like team chemistry and stuff like that. But I think uh, our players have had really good chemistry like across nationalities, across language, uh, just in general, right? Like uh, Asher on our team, Void on our team had really good relationships with everyone on the team. Bishu kind of serves as a bridge between that in between the game. I think he, or not in between games, like outside of scrims, he really does serve as a really good uh cultural like bridge uh in game it's like harder for him and just like it's fast paced and we try to go over strategies beforehand so it's not as uh like he has to serve as an in-game translator as much but uh i think we have like the tools and the systems set up in place and we're kind of already aware of these issues it's just uh kind of like our patience with it as well as the other players uh patience with it and uh our returners have experience with it i'm sure it, it's mostly new for like roar uh decay and ripa who haven't been on mixed teams before so i think we're we are prepared for it and i think it's something you worry about in the sense that it, it, it's a problem that exists but not something that you can really we're already doing all the actionable steps uh towards it so it just is going to take time can i just briefly flank in even though that wasn't the questions but it, this is like a um a personal interest of mine it's like okay so in season one we saw a lot of um teams that had their course together or their six together, like an Envy, like the GC Busan coming in. And it was always reported to me that their calling structure sort of just or organically grew together. And when you pulled one of those players out, because for whatever reason, maybe he was individually underperforming, it was very hard to assess what the player that comes in even has to do. Like nobody really cogniz cognitively or like... Cogn you know the word um thought about <laughs> thought about the um the calling structure and really delicated tasks it was more like because the way overwatch was before overwatch league wasn't all that professional it just grew together and you the coach just said okay you figure that out yourself and then the players among themselves saw okay that works that works but if you take one out nobody really has in, in an intrinsic feeling of okay he does that he does that and he just does that and you need to do that do you have like a set uh, calling structure set up where you go like okay i expect this from my main support and i expect this from my uh main tank uh i think it's gonna change with the players that you get uh it's just gonna be much different is what i will say like uh playing with fissure versus playing with remix uh how to optimize that team's comp structure is much different uh, so, like, just we're, we're talking about season one. I think you just have to play with you. You see what your players like initial like pension is towards comms and like how they they communicate. We have like a system in place. It's not perfect. Right. And it's not like different metas, different uh 
yeah, different metas will have different levels of urgency and stuff, but we have yeah. like uh, a comm system in place such that it is dynamic and does change, and we let players know when that changes. If someone has a, a game-winning call, we need them to be urgent regardless of the position they're at. So uh, we try to make it as democratic as possible, uh, but naturally, like you said, organically, teams do do find ways where it's like, this person is doing this. We have like set roles for certain things, but... Uh, for the most part, I will say it's dynamic and that we cater to what the player's original pension is. And if the their original like uh, calm levels, I guess, are not what we like, then we will change that uh, very quickly or at least try to. So uh, I, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely does. Yeah. So if we're thinking about these delegation tasks, so coaching is a very broad field, like what, what you could yeah. theoretically do, how people interpret the role. It's probably more open than the GM role is right now. And the question is, how do you personally uh, interpret the head coach, um, coach task? And do you do the strategy? And also, this is interesting because a lot of people stepped to me and said, okay, there's a guy in Gladiators nobody talks about. And his name is probably absolutely not known to uh, the vast majority of the audience. And it's the real Tim and how he comes in in creating these strategies. Uh, his name is just Tim, by the way. I think his Twitter tag is the real Tim, but his he goes by Tim. His in-game name is right. Tim. Uh, Makes sense. Like, Very yeah. creative, yeah. Anyway, uh, okay, so how do I interpret my head coaching role? I think there are like... Uh, I'll just simplify it. There are like three axes you can... like rate a coach on and you should be a perfect head coach is a 10 out of 10 on all of these so one of them is the x's and o's like the actual strategy of the game uh this will include macro micro individual uh that that is really important and uh i think as a head coach even though it's not necessary uh you should have uh like this is an axis that you you want to be judged on uh the second one is player management skills. So like, how do you deliver to players like the mentality side? Uh, how do you deliver the strategic advice? How do you uh, really deal with players individually on a, on a personal basis? Uh, this one's more general, right? Like it, it can apply to mentality, strategics, personal life, whatever it may be. Uh, this is obviously just important for coaching, uh, not specific to head coaching, but uh, it is very important. And the third one that I think particularly relates to head coaching is how you deal with staff and how you create structure. So uh, hmm. structure and culture. So uh, delegating for staff and then uh, infrastructure and culture. I think those are like the a big task that the head coach does that is really hard to evaluate, right? Like staff delegation is, is easier to see, but culture setting and uh, yeah. infrastructure is harder to see. These things aren't even... Uh, clear from the inside POV, right? Like from the player POV uh, all the time, but it's clear like within the coaching staff or within your management, it's clear like what each person is doing. Uh, so for me, like uh, I will say like, I, I'm trying to be 10 out of 10 on all these, but going into the league, I thought uh, that my like X's and O's, like uh, I do the macro for our team uh, completely. Like, or not completely, but like a majority of it, right? Uh, Tim is right now the flex. He's flexing between macro and micro. Uh, and then John, our newest addition, is dealing mostly with micro. So uh, me and John are at opposite ends. Tim is flexing based on the meta or based on uh, kind of what we need at the time. It changes week to week what we might need. We might need, oh, we need Zarya help because in Ghost we're not getting enough value from Zarya or like grabs or something. Or it's like, okay, there's new comps that are coming up. Uh, like 
me and Tim are going to take a look at it. Uh, so that's kind of how we break it down and how I view myself as a head coach in particular is uh, I, I think I'm really good with the X's and O's. I think I'm really good with the, or like decent at culture setting, bad at staff delegation. Uh, and then I think I'm pretty decent at player management overall. Uh, but I mean, it's really hard to judge like uh, culture, uh, which I think is very integral to a team. But I think we have a good culture because as soon as we jumped into last or into scrims this season kind of players just were repeating things that we were saying culturally so uh they really believed in our philosophy and what what we were trying to build in the gladiators season one and even though season one like there were a lot of like internal issues at the end i think that it sucked through and that the culture was set so i think that that was my pov of why things were set up good culturally mm -hmm. um sorry uh i don't know if you had a follow-up <laughs> To that no, it's exactly. ba basically um do you have like sentences or mantras that you repeat to the players just like to refocus them maybe mid uh mid match yeah stuff we, like that we certainly have like that that's just effective coaching i think is like uh repeating yourself uh these like phrases and things that become like mottos essentially within your team we did that last year this year it just feels like they embody that mentality more so and for mm. our newer players less so right and so it, but it's easier to get built into a culture once instead of building it ground up, you just have the culture and then they're fitting into it type of thing. So even with our comm structure system, like they, they caught on real, real, real quick. So uh, if those things are important to the returners, they're important <clears throat> to the new players. Uh, so I, I think we set a good culture and a good infrastructure so far. Uh, and I think it's showing at least from a practice POV. Okay. So this we were talking about hard questions, so this is when we, we hit that, because um, I think when we're talking about team culture, there was an interesting coaching decision, executive decision last season in the playoffs, right? Yeah. And the, the question, of course, is how much is um, not just, okay, it might just be a, a gameplay decision, then it's fair enough, and then we don't really you know, have to elaborate too much on that. Or is it important? Because I remember I, at the time, said if I was head coach and I take the, the span of whatever I expect Overwatch League to be into account, I think I'm taking my chances there. It's, of course, terrible for the second season because then I set myself up for a situation where even if I get rid of that player, now my, the next player in line is like, well, you let that slide last time, so I can do whatever, right? Is that something that you considered in, in these decisions, especially around Fisher? Uh, I, I won't go into too much detail. The situation is, like, complex, I guess. Uh, or at least, like, to explain would sure. be complex. Uh, ultimately, we did what we thought was best for the team, is what I will say. We did what was best for the team to win uh, Overwatch League Season 1. Okay. It's not that I thought, uh, and this is, I cannot make this more clear, that I do not think uh, Fissure is worse, uh, is worse at main tank than uh, Remix, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I cannot make that clear because yeah. I think that would make me sound silly. And I'm, I, I, I said I think I'm good at X's and O's, and yeah. I, objectively, Fissure is, is like one of the best main tanks in the league. Very objectively, that is true. So, mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't like, I don't know where, like, we as a coaching staff, we as an organization never said meta stuff. I think that's something either other people interpreted or, like, I don't know how that rumor kind of, like, cascaded mm -hmm. or anything like that. But 
it was just we did what was best for the team to win season one and uh we valued effective practice we felt like we could get better practice with remix and i think that's what our statement said uh for for your question like more philosophically yes uh it going with the longevity of the league going with longevities of careers right like five head coaches were fired in season one there's yeah. 12 head coaches like that's uh yeah. that's damn near a 50 percent uh fire rate right and within one season esports is not super long it was a a risky decision i will say uh in terms of like public thing but i, I don't really care about what the public say i'm just trying to give my team the best shot to win uh so i i mean uh we talked about it with our management too i'm not going to make this decision without discussing things with my management because i need to yeah. know that my boss isn't going to fire me for a decision yeah. that w we think is correct so we had to discuss it we had to uh talk about like steps to getting to this point and stuff like that uh but ultimately it from all our povs within the organization at least uh management and coaching wise it was the the decision we had to make so um i mean that's I, how important that is to setting culture i i can't speak because i would like devolve into details of the yeah. situation but uh i i do think that culture is really important is all i will say like uh if I was another coach in a different situation, I don't know what exactly I would do. I think it is very rare uh, to do this as a coach. I think there's not a lot of historic examples to to yeah. say that this would happen, right? Someone told me actually that Bill Belichick in the last Super Bowl against the Eagles, uh, he benched his star corner. Uh, they lost, uh, but they benched their star corner against a really good passing team, which was the Philadelphia Eagles. And, uh, maybe that star corner could have really helped them out there uh, against their their ace receiver or whatever it may have been. I'm not too certain on the details, but uh, I mean, Bill Belichick made that. I'm not making the comparison that Bill Belichick to be. So you're, so you're saying that, that's the Bill only... Belichick of Overwatch League. Got it. Yeah, that's quote, quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just historic success. Uh, five out of six, like yeah. <laughs> NFC or AFC championships in yeah. the past six years. Yeah. Uh, I'm just noting that that was like the only decision that I've seen in the past that really have like that someone did something similar. And uh, I mean, he yeah. he has the legacy to do it. No one's questioning <laughs> Bill Belichick. He could yeah. he could bench Tom Brady right now and everyone be like, this guy is a god and he <laughs> deserves that because of what he's yeah. done in in uh, football. But I don't think I've earned that respect. I'm just noting kind of like similar decision making <laughs> i mean if you're if you're you look at the situation as a head coach who has way more uh, information about the entire situation and then say this is the better short-term deal and now we can hypothesize that it's also the better long-term deal that's a no-brainer you do that every time right so yeah yeah, yeah and weighing short-term and long-term it, it gets really sticky like you said there's no glass ball for overwatch you're just predicting the future at certain points mm -hmm. and you, you can't do that, right? Like even scouting is just predicting the future and you, it, it's hard to do it. Uh, we it's take also, it day by day, week by week type of thing. It's also the case that, and that it, that is of course what a lot of people don't understand is just because it didn't work doesn't mean it's the wrong decision, right? Right. It's like, yeah. it's it. there are probabilities and if you took the 70% win chance and you hit the 30, well, Tough luck. You made the right decision, right? It's essentially a poker game then. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you judge those things over time. Like, for example, in season two, some questionable coaching decision happens. I think you start accumulating data and then you're like, yes. okay, this guy's a bad head coach. Uh, but I think you need more time to evaluate because 
there's only like so many decisions that the public really sees at certain yeah. points. And so you'll see things over time more so for, for coaching and I think for players as well. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think that it's important then that you as a head coach or as an organization have a platform to like justify those decisions? Like there are definitely some decisions that should be totally internal, but at the same time, something that I noticed is, and something that I've kind of noticed from just chatting with you for the past 40 minutes is there a lot of things that people, you know, took as conjecture, didn't fully understand, couldn't find another reason for, and just kind of applied it uh, based on you know, whatever logical uh, hierarchy they had in their head on what makes sense as a coach. I mean, do you think that there should be more information out there for, you know, fans of Overwatch League or LA Gladiators or whatever to, to make that happen? Or do you think that, you know, people should just... Uh, understand what's what's some dude on uh whatever reddit's opinion or in youtube comments opinion about that and understand that that's not stuff that's ever going to be public uh stuff that's never going to be public i don't think it should be public you don't want to see how the the chili's made uh is that the expression i want to I think it's chili. Yeah. Oh, the sausage, the sausage. Sorry. Yeah. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. It's really, it's really gross. Uh, there's a lot of hard decisions. There's a lot of, uh, things that happen in the background that you don't want to know. Uh, and everyone thinks that like teams are immaculate almost. And like, uh, the team and everyone thinks the opposite that teams with like heavy internal issues. These are the teams that are collapsed, but like every team is close to an internal issue. I will say like, yeah, uh, season one was almost like it was a battle for who had the internal issue the least or like the least good time. Right. Like, uh, like I, I think that is something to be understated and yeah. winning helps a lot with internal issues. Yeah. How many times have you heard about internal issues for Boston Sage three? I'm pretty sure there were internal issues happening, but when you go 10 and 0, you kind of like push that aside until yeah. stage four when you're struggling, right? Uh, or or after playoffs. Uh, so I think every every team like needs to keep information private, and there's good reason too. You don't reduce tra- players' trade value. You don't want to be the team that uh, releases information about players either, because like uh, imagine if I'm like shit talking uh, like the the players that we release, right? Like I'm shit talking Fissure, Asher, Remix, and let's say like it's justified, not justified, doesn't matter what player wants to come to our team if we're shit talking our own players oh, yeah, you know? yeah. like uh sorry trash talk <laughs> you have to you have to, you have to bleep all that out gotta, yeah. Uh, yeah 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 uh sorry for the uh you're, no, you're the, good. The stream. you're good <laughs> but for the other platforms you'll be fine with the bleeps uh but yeah uh i i think that fans don't have a right to to what the team does internally it's it's just the season's hard. This game is hard. Coaching is hard. Uh, being a player is hard. Uh, tensions rise and people will misinterpret things. And uh, the only people who need to know are the people on the team. That's pretty much it. Yeah, it's also, uh, to me, it almost seemed like that friction within the team can be a, a lubricant almost. Like, it's it's like if you're all friends, like, where, how how are you really getting, like, how are you fixing the mistakes or making the un you know the uncomfortable comments towards someone's play style or whatever i think that's just inherently part of sports overall i think just pr departments are much more much bigger and much more <laughs> experienced <laughs> and like not getting having that get out in normal sports right but yeah. it's um players are yeah. more professional in normal sports they they come from a a culture that's really like for basketball you've been learning how to be a teammate from 
the YMCA level, like when you're five to all the way to high school to college, you get weeded out if you're not. Uh, yeah. And if you say bad things about teammates or bad PR stuff, like people won't really like that as teammates. So, sure. Yeah. Were you asked for, for any players uh, on, to comment on them? It's like for uh, so let's say did did Toronto Defined or someone like that can't come to you and just say. Uh, How is that guy not like? to me. I think if anything, it would be to our general manager Charlie, who deals with more mm. like the contract stuff. Because every time someone asks me about like, uh, some like trading of players or something like that, I tell them to direct them to Charlie. Uh, just because sense. like he's the person who deals with it. He comes back to me if he thinks something is like I have a lot of autonomy, so like he he really values my opinion on it. So. 90% of the time we like 99% of the time we agree on something come to a resolution uh but yeah that's it's nothing that i would like no i would guess yeah Fair. all right i have to ask you a really hard hitting question here this is probably going to be the toughest one that you're going to get because it's okay. actually really integral to the integrity of this show uh, we we've had four people come on and talk uh, about their their power <laughs> rankings, and we've all had NYXL in London in the top three. Uh, Sideshow and myself had NYXL uh, below London, and then Yiska and Volamel had NY or NYXL above London. I need to know. I asked you this ahead of time. I need a tiebreaker here. I need, I need you to know, at the end of the year, in your power rankings, your internal power rankings, you don't even have to say where they are. Uh, but I, I really need to know this, man. Yeah. Split, okay. Split, so split the difference here. I think the first question Yiska is going to ask is, how do you judge a power ranking, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've so listened well. to the podcast enough. Yeah, he I've listened to so it well. enough. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Uh, Very yeah. Good. And so, like, kind of for me... Uh, I'm basing things on on who who will win the championship. That that is my power ranking, not on like uh, raw power of of like roster strength or regular season, but it is who I think can win and has the highest chance of winning. With that said, I think it's Spitfire, uh, 100%, because uh, they they did win season one, so you have proof that they have won. Uh, two, I don't think anyone talks about this enough. Their playoff run was actually insane. Uh, besides the 3-0 we uh, Gladiators had against them, they went on an absolute tear. No one could even touch them. Uh, they lost maybe one map, like 3-1 people, but they did it every single time. They did 3-1-3-0, 3-1-3-0, or whatever it was. The, the finals was a joke. Uh, Spitfire ran through everyone, and uh, if you saw the team that played us day one, uh, like that is crazy to me. That they, uh, I, I heard a rumor... Uh, and not so much a rumor, but I like Void was talking to Closer in, in solo queue, uh, kind of, and I, I was behind the screen. I think they were warming up for a scrim or something. And Closer's just tell, or at least I'm not reading Korean, but I'm told that like Void's like, yeah, they're packing their bags to go home. Like they they're like so depressed they couldn't even practice Thursday. Uh, they I, I heard they couldn't even practice Thursday because they were so tilted from our Wednesday match uh, that the coaches either thought it was bad. It was described to me from clo from closers and then an interpreter that like, yeah, they were just depressed. Not that they thought the day off would refresh them or anything like that. It's not like, uh, it's, it's literally like they came out of the woodwork and just dominated every team since then. I can't believe that that is not the most talked about storyline in all of our right now that Spitfire just has a switch that they can turn on. Maybe not by will, maybe by coincidence, the meta fit them better. They, they had a good read on the meta, but how is that not talked about that? They dominated absolutely everyone, right? Uh, just obliterated and 
from a 3-0 from us, uh, yeah, we had set strats. Yeah, like besides the King's Row stuff, we had set strats on on the other maps that made us do well. But even if we had set strats against London, I don't think I don't think any team is beating that team uh, in that iteration at yeah. that time. No team was beating London, and uh, I, I am so afraid of that team. Like we're talking about teams we're we're afraid of. Like I am not afraid of Nixel super. Like but when we play them in playoffs, I'm not that afraid. Uh, but Spitfire, hmm. I'm afraid. I'm I'm hmm. definitely definitely afraid of spitfire just showing what they could do last year their peak is insane uh and just their their raw potential is absolutely insane uh their individual <laughs> skill i'm laughing because uh i had to uh, refute this kind of format with uh sideshow back in the day and we were arguing philly against uh london in terms of peak performances and i i felt like that playoff run was a very good field or like evidence for my argument that London, in fact, yeah, has the highest peak in, in Overwatch League. Yeah, and I think it goes to individual skill. I don't think uh, people say Jonak, 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 but yeah. to me, Bedosin is actually nuts. Like that guy, yeah. I'm pretty sure he calls on that team too. He does call. I, I remember there was a, what, it was Kings Row. I think it was against Philly. He's uh, they're they're at the arch on second point, uh, just just under the arch, and he's taking this duel with Carpe <laughs> as Zen and Widow on the left side, and I'm like, the balls this guy has, like, yeah, uh, I don't know, but Dosen to me, like, has that uh, he has that unshakable confidence that yeah. I don't think you see in a lot of players, and I think Bedosin has that. Uh, yeah. And then I just think individually skill, individual skill on that team is one of the highest uh Birdering, i think is the weakest and i don't think he's that weak either oh. uh oh. and that's weird to say that i think Birdering is weak and i i thought that that guy was really insane too so just in terms of individual skill that team is just all insane. the good opinions you're hitting there that's exactly what it, like Birdering was legitimately probably the worst player across the season from the starters and it's hard to evaluate once again especially like the roads that have a lot of intangibles like main support i'm not not sure how how nas performs there but yeah like Bertring had a very massive drop off during the midseason we, and... yeah we uh i remember our match and it it haunts me <laughs> the oasis uh he just headshot he only gets two shots where he can actually shoot someone we we messed up a little bit but he has two shots to hit a headshot widow you actually only have like certain time frames where you can actually hit yep. shots right uh, and he hits both of them <laughs> on very key <laughs> targets on our comp that we had never uh, like that soldier comp we had never lost on uh, in scrims and like sh should have been good uh, and he hits both the shots uh, in the smallest time frame you'll ever see so I'm, I don't think Birdring is bad when I say he's the worst I don't think he's like bad <laughs> by any mean I'm just noting no. that that is the level like if we're saying Birdring <laughs> is the worst player on that team worst starter performer on that team then you're pretty fucking good uh, yeah pretty I, good I think, uh, sorry. <laughs> don't even worry about it don't, don't <laughs> even. sorry i think um Bedring is almost because he peaks so high it's almost like I, I would be interested to see if uh london had like a solid consistent starter like i have the these like uh wave and uh, tide players so the tide player just raises the tide is consistently good but maybe someone like that's hard to say because he's not consistently good but consistent let's say someone like an akm and then you have a taimu who is 
going up and down consistently. And if you can then predict when this guy is peaking, then you put him in, and it's dope, right? Especially if it happens in the playoffs. The, the the peak, the, that's like uh, we talk yeah. about how future telling is hard in Overwatch. How do you predict someone's gonna pop off in a match? I mean, uh, really yeah, hard. I mean, absolute peak performance that day is very hard. I think there's trends over like weeks where a guy just plays very for instance Lingsa was probably sort of predictable for the coaching staff like it's it was never like okay this play day he's super sick and then the next one he doesn't do anything and then he's super sick it's usually like okay for for a couple of weeks this is the trajectory of the performance and yes there's variance in that but the general trajectory is sort of samey and if you can then pair them up yeah yeah i think i could I could see it. I'm just noting variance is something that we talk about all the time as coaching staff. Like you, you sometimes don't lose games because of uh, like strategy or anything. It's sometimes just various. Like sometimes bad, bad things just happen and it just is unfortunate. Right. Uh, but that's why you have things over time and variance isn't necessarily a bad thing. Variance can help you like it did Spitfire. They buried the other way. <laughs> uh, and so Philly too. Philly, Philly too. Right. Uh, the fifth and sixth seed just, make a tear to the first and first yeah. and second place of overwatch league so uh you got to peak at the right time so <laughs> yeah yes i know you had one more topic you wanted to talk about before we got out of here uh, because we are running out of time okay. so go ahead yep hard-hitting question here let's go okay so when when i talk to people about um what's what's the coaching like in gladiators like reportedly and of course like the these it, they're different level quality uh, sources, but it's always described something sort of uh, unorthodox, meaning um, maybe you're doing something else than at least what is reported to me that other coaches do. And specifically, I would say uh, the departments of uh, statistical analysis, just how, how you incorporate it, if you have a dedicated guy for that, or if you have a company, some do that. They hire a company and have like um, assistance there. And then the second part is um, uh, VOD reviews and how long you ch- you take out of a day. So, for instance, I, I know some teams just do it like 30, uh, 30, 70 every day. So it's like three skim blocks. And then we're doing the rest like of the workday, a nine-hour workday is like VOD reviews and stuff, stuff like that. How is that in your uh, in your team and how do you think about these uh for the vod review one i can tell you we're doing more this year but uh we always review things it's just we haven't given enough visual aid uh compared to last or compared to last season we're giving way more visual aid like i have like 20 screenshots i'm gonna uh mm-hmm. go over with my team right now and it has a very long explanation to each uh but before i would talk about it more abstractly or draw it on the board or something uh when you just VOD review something to VOD review something, you don't get much out of it. Like having just, mm-hmm. uh, we call it like undirected VOD review is damn near useless for the players. Like uh, one, you have a mixed team. So like there's different conversations happening and then you need the same conclusion coming on. If they, th- it is no different uh, than them just watching at home at that point, right? If you just come to different conclusions. So we uh, like, we incorporate things from human teaching, right? Like, Teaching has proven you can't just sit there in a lecture for an hour and get everything out of it. There are just key points, and you are better served in smaller, bite-sized things with larger visual examples, right? Uh, with with much more clarity, and you go over smaller bits uh, and like 
more clarity in your certain topic. So uh, I've seen teams just like I've heard teams just go over the their like entire match comms or whatever it is. And I don't think that's super helpful to just go over an entire scrim block. You go mm. over a map, you go over a team fight, you go over like one thing that you're trying to improve, two things, three things, whatever it may be. And you give visual examples for that. And then you like drive it home. Right. And you're saying in these different situations and stuff like that. So I think last year we didn't do enough of it. And that was something noted by the players is that we didn't give like visual examples in particular. I think that the amount of odd review or like VOD review is such a weird word. The amount of reviewing we're doing, strategic review that we're doing is more in line with uh, just like more visual examples. I think we're going over the same ideas of stuff before, but I think we're doing a better job of it. So uh, I don't think that's unorthodox. I think it's more unorthodox to just look at an entire tape of a team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like in football, I don't think you look at an entire game. You look, you break up into like, here's our quarterback squad. Here's our lineman squad. And you're like saying, okay, we needed to block this, this, and this. Uh, like you break it down like that. So we give people a lot of like individual uh, stuff to look at and we break it down more granularly so that it's not waste. And plus if I'd review waste time, like uh, you kind of lose, not lose legitimacy as a coach, but like, it's like, what, what are we doing here? Like mm. we're, we're wasting time. We could just be doing something else like resting or like getting into the scrim or I don't know, solo queue practice. We could be doing something else. So you need to make sure when you use your player's time, it's worth it. Uh, so I, that's why we've veered away from undirected ones. We've tried it, especially with a mixed team. It's it's really hard. If you didn't have a strong coaching staff, like you, you didn't have a strong strategic coaching staff, uh, I think that undirected water views and having the team just talk to each other is really good. But once it's a mixed team, once there's translation involved, uh, once like there's there's like uh, clashes of personalities, you need someone to direct that. And preferably, you know the strategy to it too. So uh that that's like a big part for us is like we i think we have a strong strategic coaching staff like we understand the game strategically much more than say uh like spitfire i don't think had a strong strategic coaching staff they had like more mental coaches right and then their players seven of their players just talked about the game yeah Uh, i I think that's a legitimate way to do things but i think as time goes on like we saw that spitfire really didn't have the best strategy going on they just had the best players uh but I think over time, you're going to need coaches who really understand the game. And I don't know about their current coach now or anything. I was just mm-hmm. kind of noting from last season. And I'm mm-hmm. not even sure about those responsibilities. That's just kind of a note uh, more so than anything. Uh, you had another question about uh, our unorthodox yeah. thing? Let me, water view? let me set this up because usually, okay, so up. there's Let's go. there's different types of statistical analysis and where yeah. it's useful. And I think a lot of people... Gen- or people that work with stats generally would agree that the biggest value share is probably coming from just finding diamonds in the rough. Now, of course, in your position where you could uh, afford to buy the... I mean, there's Roar and Decay are undeniable players. There's not too much, you know, uh, scouting and like f- trying to find these gems. Everyone knew them, right? So there the value is not as m- much the case. But... Um, also then maybe finding different approaches to think about things or look at numbers, what they tell you, have someone skills um, at interpreting them. I'm not sure if a full-time position just for statistics is feasible in Overwatch, but the question then is, do you incorporate them at all? And if not, why do you think there's not that much value and why are you wasting time or resources by doing so? Right. Uh, so let, let me give an example of how we like scout players. Uh, like, let's let's just talk about Zen uh, in particular. We have 
Uh, there's a lot of things that break down on Zen. Aim is like very clearly one of them, but there's orb management, uh, both Discord and Harmony Orb, and then there's Trank usage, there's positioning, uh, and then there's right-click versus left-click efficiency. Those are like just basic breakdowns in what you could do, let alone with comms and personality, but let's just break it down by the game. How do you value Discord efficiency? Is there a stat in-game that actually tells you how much damage your Discord is at the right time and how it forces a Brig to shield up rather than be swinging, right? Or a Ryan to shield versus swing. Trank uh, in this meta especially, like the value of Trank, it's like, are they hitting you in your grab or not? Like that you might not die or you might die a ton in the trank and it doesn't matter, right? Like, does that make it a good trank because you had bubbles up to protect you from the diva bomb uh, or they're swinging on you. So it, it has higher value, but then he has a shatter afterwards and we didn't plan around it, right? Like, how do you quantify these things? Even with in-game stats, it is very, very difficult, right? And I think Zen is one of the more simple characters, I would argue, right? Uh, like in terms yeah. of ability usage, like it's very, uh, like the abilities are much more straightforward. Like, it doesn't alter your positioning all too much. It doesn't, uh, you, you just like have straightforward, more straightforward uses to it. It applies to ones. Tracer blinks, we're all over the place. We're, we're uh, mixing positioning with blink management, with recall management, with aim, uh, like melee strike usage, blink bombs. Uh, like we're, we're getting really complex when we go to a more complex character. So uh, like I'm someone who really does believe in statistical because uh i come from computer science as my major like i've taken classes on data mining like uh done stuff with uh <clears throat> like machine learning uh but in this game at this state the stats aren't there one the game is highly contextual too and like let's just compare something like uh go or chess right chess has a finite number of states a countable number of states right uh there chess is like an eight by eight board i think and then there's like eight pieces or whatever so you have uh eight or 64 to the eighth uh that's a large number but it's not undoable like computers are are like attempting to reach that uh at this point right like and in fact uh a computer beats a human or ties a human every single time even uh, magnus carlson the best chess player in the world undoubtedly maybe the best chess player of all time would lose to a computer every single time uh but like that that is a very simple game uh in in comparison to overwatch where sense. there are 12 players all different abilities uh infinite number of positions 18 different maps right or some somewhere around that like 15 to 18 different maps uh it's a ton of things and then you have to add context <laughs> uh so i think basketball is very simple too uh and in in concept not in execution but that is already a game where like you're seeing more and more improvements towards uh like how much does this lineup do what what is the most effective shot what type of defensive scheme should we play uh you can get statistics on that but overwatch the patch changes within a month so all the data that you would have gotten if it was manual is wasted <laughs> uh and then um yeah and then you go to a different patch and then you have to like discuss things differently right like the variables of physics don't change for basketball the rules of chess don't change uh so yeah. but overwatch is constantly changing so even if you gather enough statistical analysis and you did it by hand for like because blizzard doesn't release an api for it then you still have the problem of this is useless in a month and you have the problem of was this like individual skill or not right like you have a lot of different variables floating around so that's why i don't think it's particularly useful there's too many game states uh but i think that there will be a time where it 
becomes more useful if Blizzard releases the API and you can get more insight into like beat uses, amp usage, or whatever it may be, uh, like positioning. You're like, this Lucio is like 70% of the time closer to his backline. Maybe this mm-hmm. is how we should be playing. But even then, like there's there's 12 players. Each of them can play like 26 heroes. Like that's already a number of permutations. And then you're not even at XYZ positionings, which are at further, like further reasoning for context. So Overwatch is far from solved or even close to being a simple game and it changes too much that it really doesn't make sense uh, to to invest too much time into it. I think the the general defense of uh, data analysts would then be that you just go to higher order, order uh, operations, like you, you compare uh, different metrics, metrics that sort of accumulate in, in, uh, in these different stats, and then look if there's something intrinsic to the game. And yes, a, a lot of the time it is true that it's very comp-specific, and it only becomes useful if you have it in large numbers. Um, the, the, still, I think there's merit in as such that maybe it helps you sort of compartmentalize or also cover blind spots where you don't think that's possible. So for instance, you got to have a very good justification that someone like Arthuring is having so much heal per 10. Like something's going wrong in your team. And then, of course, there's going a lot going wrong in Shanghai Dragons in Season 1. But um, no. maybe that helps no. you to justify and gives you certain new approaches or ideas where the the issue might come from and then also yeah now the the statistics you get are i would say more sophisticated than um just damage and you know the ones that that overwatch has or even that winston's lab had so um it's also certainly interesting to um, i think it opens up legitimate ways to think about team building efforts so for instance one thing that i've recently seen is um people messing around with uh, the clutch factor of a player so how how good are they in uh, in overtime mechanics and stuff like that right so and sort of giving a rating there and i don't think it needs to be absolutely clinical right it doesn't need to be a definitive number based on these sets of circumstances and you where you break it down to the minute little details i think if you have the bigger sort of higher order factors there there's value in that but i i have to agree that's probably only coming in if you're running out of good ideas I, i'd say Right. And a big problem is that I think there are not a lot of great strategy coaches in Overwatch League. To be a good data analyst or to get the right questions asked, you need to be smart about the game. You need to understand the game Mm. more conceptually to ask the right questions. Uh, Because if you're just going from like stats and then you look at something and then you're like, okay, these are the three factors that... uh, are are determining the win or loss right like it's it's this and this and this and then you form a theory out of it you're most likely wrong you're like oh okay well obviously the person who does more healing has is taking more damage (laughs) so uh that's not a good indicator of whether or not we're winning or losing that doesn't mean we should heal less as mercy that just means that the team was losing right so uh i think statistics can lie uh to you but you have to be really smart about delving into what type of statistics you want uh but i think we're far from that i think even traditional sports are like trying to get into that and even then uh it's it's hard and they have much more money invested rather than just one data analyst they have a company source like steve Ballmer ha- owns a uh, second spectrum which 
is like contracted for a large deal of the NBA teams, but that in itself is not like proven to be all, all that effective. Who knows how effective that will be? Uh, but it's getting there, right? Uh, but that's millions of dollars in investment, whereas we're hiring one dude for like a hundred thousand max, right? If he's a good uh, data scientist, that's not enough. Uh, Fair, yeah. Fair. Uh, we got to let you go because John Galt in the yeah. chat said, "David, today's breakfast is insane. You're missing out, and I don't Damn. want. I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to be why you miss out on that." So uh, first, I think I already Dave, did. Awesome for a plate. <laughs> yeah, Thanks for taking one for the team, taking one for the community, getting to kind of hear from you a little bit more and, and chat about a lot of I think really amazing topics about the LA Gladiators and coaching, just Overwatch League as a whole. I mean. I was entrenched in curiosity the entire time. So thank you so much for doing that. Uh, before we get to you, though, uh, David, Yiska, what do you got coming up this week, man, before we get out of here? I, on Sunday, I recorded an eSports Walks. I need to edit that down. And then I have a couple of thinking it overs where I want to start up again, and we'll see. Cool. Awesome. What about you, David? Where can people find you? I mean, messages to your LA Gladiator fans out there. Give us, give it us it all. I need to look at what my Twitter account is, actually. <laughs> DP underscore OW. I had to type it like DP underscore OW. Yeah, that's probably where you can follow me if you want to follow me. Uh, I don't have anything else. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, uh, I know we talked. I talked a lot. Sorry about that. So that's uh, why we had you on. Is that's why. Yeah, yeah, that's why. It's worse when you bring on a guest and they don't talk a lot. Like you don't want hydration. You don't want the, oh. the one word answers. Yes. <laughs> yes yeah. I think stats are good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but thanks for having me on. Uh, I think this podcast is great for those listening. You know, do what they say. Subscribe. Uh, I don't know what else they do. Follow, just just give them support because they're they're doing a great job, and uh, I think this is a really well done podcast. Oh, thanks, man. I really thanks. appreciate that. Checks in the mail, so uh, I'm just kidding. Checks <laughs> not in the mail. We don't have the money for that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, David, thank you again so much. Make sure to go follow uh, David thanks. at dpay underscore Overwatch as he said at dpay underscore ow as you said. Cheer on your LA Gladiators. Get those shields up for season two. We're less than three weeks away. You can follow me at Kick Tripod, but most importantly, you can find the show everywhere. You can find podcasts, video content, whatever. Uh, YouTube, search for OWL Daily Show, Overwatch League Daily, or of course, Tactical Crouch. Same thing on your podcast feeds. Search for Tactical Crouch, Overwatch League Daily. They're all sharing the same thing. I'm working on getting the names changed to be a little bit more inclusive across all of them. Of course, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that, of course, besides listening and following here on Twitch, uh, we do have a donation link down below. We also, you can subscribe on Twitch. That all goes to help uh, support the quality of the show and everything else. So thank you guys for being here. David, have a great breakfast. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see you again uh, next time. Thanks, guys. Come, come, come.